This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network in Latin American Studies, a podcast in the New Books Network. I am Kenneth Sanchez, one of the hosts of the channel. And today I will be talking with Lorena Cuya-Gavilano about her interesting new book, Fictions of Migration, Narratives of Displacement in Peru and Bolivia. This book analyzes and explores the effects and epistemologies of migration in Peru and Bolivia through cultural production, such as films, novels, and short stories, in the context of regional neoliberal rearrangements. Dr. Cuya Gavilano is an assistant, assistant professor of Latin American cultures at Arizona State University. Her areas of specialization are migration studies, film analysis, contemporary Latin American cultural studies, and human geography. Thank you for joining us here today, Lorena. Thank you for, for the opportunity to talk to you. Perfect. Perhaps to begin, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and the path that led you to write this book. Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm Peruvian and I'm from Lima, but my family is um well my grand family my mother's family comes from the north of peru and um, part of my dad's family come from the south of um, the, um peru and also from cajamarca in the north in the andes um so i think that just listening to their experiences and stories of um uh, adaptation and work in, in, in the coast, specifically in Lima, has also like um, raised up curiosity, a lot of questions, and, and it has shaped my life, um, right? So it's just like many people in the capital. So I think that had a great influence in, in the why I'm interested in migration. And then for my PhD, I traveled to the US, and then I, I became a different kind of migrant. Um, so that also um, raised another set of questions for me and uh, about adaptation and cultural perception and, and how the dynamics and co- uh, the economics in, uh, influence different cultural perspectives. So, so that is more or less like my my path. It's, it's personal in in many ways. Yes, of course. And before we go on about this book, I think it will be useful for our listeners to know a little bit more about the historical background of your book, to locate it in time to place it within a, a frame. Perhaps you can tell us briefly about the historical background, both of Peru and, and Bolivia. Well, we share um, something that is interesting is like we we used to be part of the same country and then um, for historical reasons, we we took our own paths, right? Um, but in terms of like um, the ethnic constitution of each country, I think we're similar except for our attitudes toward these different ethnicities is, is different than the book. Deals with this in from the 1970s until the first decade of the 21st century. So um, I talk about books as, such as um, Los Soros, of Bayerguedas and also books as recent as um, Abril Rojo or Lost City Radio by Daniela Larcón. And um, 
the reason why I chose this is because we can see a change from the in the seventies when Arguedas was writing. Like we we've seen like the second waves of migration towards the capital and and all the changes that came with modernization, and then all the changes that came after all the more recent waves of migration after the the war against Sendero Luminoso, uh, the shiny path, and in the case of Bolivia. Also, the the words I I select for for the book were cre- produced after the nineteen uh, fifties when you have the revolution in Bolivia. So uh, I think that and also the modernization processes, industrialization, and and that brought a, a new set of um, challenges for both societies and a lot of migration towards the cities. And that is something that is similar, right? Like during the 50s and 60s, we have a new um, modernization processes throughout Latin America. And these two countries share these um, similar patterns in particular, but with different reactions towards the people who were migrating to the cities. And um, so, so that it's a little bit of the context for these two countries, but also I have to say, like we in in Peru, one of the differences between Peru and Bolivia is that we had the Fujimori dictatorship, right? And and with Fujimori, we have like the official entrance in the neoliberal economy and neoliberal market that was welcomed by many. Peruvians, and I think that we can see the consequences of that to this day when we see um, m- many people. I think on the on the right side of the economic ideologies in in Peru, right? Like um, all about free markets and the 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 regularization. Whilst in Bolivia, you, uh, I think people have witnessed this. Um, uprising, right, like the, the waking of indigenous populations and indigenous movements, uh, a lot of protests against um, the privatization of water, of gas, of oil, etc. So the reaction of the people has been um, different towards these um, neoliberal um, economies and dynamics. And in the case of Bolivia, for example, um, instead of moving towards the right, as is the case of Peru, they have moved towards more decolonial um, approach to politics and ways of living and recognizing the indigenous background and the people in indigenous communities taking power too. Um, we can see that with Evo Morales and even now, like again, with with um, the new Bolivian president, Luis Arce, right? Uh, so there is all this... Um, different reactions in these two countries toward um, in the face of neoliberal policies. And that is what I think has shaped in many ways the different visions of the migrants in these two countries. That's a little bit of the background. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think that's very important. That's very well put. I want to talk to you a bit about your framework or your the way you read these uh, cultural productions, uh, such as films and novels. I'm really interested in knowing a little bit more about the the effective epistemology that you use the decolonial reading of of uh, of these productions to serve uh, the purpose of uh, reaching these uh, or analyzing these fictions of migration of this migrational fictions as you call them. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is that my point of departure is that um, in our society today we are so used to value recent uh, science in in like STEM fields, for example, the STEM um, uh, career paths as opposed to humanities. So it's all this, um, uh, the privilege of, of, of recent and practical thinking, utilitarianism in a way. And we have... Um, to a certain degree, left aside like emotions and feelings and, and discard them as something that is uh, subjective and of no value, that we cannot learn anything from it. And um, today, I think there is um, a little bit of a, of a change of uh, turn back to 
paying attention to the emotions and to the sense of community that uh, at least in in this in the Indian countries and I know in that um, South Africa too, right? Uh, so this, um, yeah, this affective epistemology is like we can learn through um, feelings, through emotions, we, we can learn from them. And in the case of the works that I select for this book, uh, the characters go, um, it's not that they are learning from reading books or from watching the news or listening to, I don't know, um, podcasts or, or or the radio or I don't know or it, it's not that it's that it's their own personal experience their own feelings that leads them to recover certain um, value the value of their communities of their traditions and what they have forgotten by moving towards modernity which equates in this case to moving towards the cities where the new industries are, where the new opportunities are, where the new markets are. So um, in that sense, like these paying attention and un underscoring the, the feelings of the characters, migrant characters in particular, their hardships and emotions, it's, uh, it is important for them to open up another set of questions where they can end up um, recovering their cultural roots. So that is, um, and this is something that with, um, with the car, for example, uh, it's all about the, the reason, right? We cannot believe in anything that cannot be proven or with uh, positivism, for example, um, we need a physical proof of something we need, um, yeah, to, to see something, to, to believe, etc. And this is another way to see it. Um, it's not a scientific method, it's, it's emotions, it's pure emotions. And, and I think that is important, it's something that we do not pay attention much. Um, but it's something that I think, especially with, with the um, new indigenous movements in a different in, in Indian countries like Ecuador, Bolivia, and now Peru, um, we are in a way kind of recovering that. It's like a different kind of knowledge. And in that sense, it is decolonial. It is like it goes against the the our Western view of what reason is, what knowledge is valuable, um, which one is not. Mm -hmm. That's that's very interesting. That's that's why I really wanted to know a bit more about that from from yourself. And now moving on to to the book itself, I wanted to ask you first about the first chapter. It's called uh, "Anxiety for the Future: Migration in Peruvian Cinema." I was very interested in your uh, decision to choose two uh, Chasky films, uh, Gregorio and Juliana from 85 and 88, and two more recent films, Claudia Llosa's uh, My Denusa and La Tresustada, or The Milk of Sorrow in English. And I, I was really interested in the decision to choose these films to tell the story of uh, migrational fiction, as you, as you say, but also the change, the way you analyze it, the, the change between the, how we portray migration and also the, the view of who makes cinema, how we make cinema to portray this, this fiction. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about this chapter and, and about this change and, and who, who was in charge of, of perhaps portraying these, uh, these migrational fictions. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, well, with the uh, Chasky movies were produced in a, in a different period with a different cinema law in Peru in the in the eighties. And Claudia Yosa clearly obviously belonged to um a neoliberal period when the cinema law changed and there was uh, less help to uh, filmmakers. It's not that today there's uh well our cinema is, is still working on so many different things, especially funding. But um before Fujimori um the 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 cinema industry had a little bit of help and um, with uh, national topics of interest. And that changed after um, the cinema law. There was no funding to create shorts or, or long films about any national issue. And by national issue, I mean like um, topics such as um, agriculture or race and ethnicity, class difference and things like that that we need to really face and question because we, we tend to ignore 
these problems, even, even though they're in our face. Um, but um, I think these, these films try to problematize that and try to bring to the fore these um, migrant characters in, in the Chesky case, children who are migrant or children of migrants who end up living alone. They, they run away from their houses and, and try to create different communities with other children and kind of create a different, um, an alternative way of living in a poor community, but still it works differently. It's, it's more about solidarity and how they're gonna um, not only survive, but create a, a, a community that can, where they can support each other emotionally too. Uh, not just um, surviving physically. Um, in the case of Josa, um, she had a, a different um, form of production. She was um, educated in well in Peru and then in Europe, and she got funding from private um, institutions, and she even created her own um, production company to sponsor her own films, and it's like just thinking about that she has all these opportunities of privilege and class that allows her to produce a different kind of film that was released first in Europe, not in Peru, for example, as opposed to Chasky. Um, but with this kind of external aid, this transnational funding, she also had different, um, how can I say this, like she needed to show also certain images it compromised the production and she in a way it has to show in in sometimes the very stereotypical images of migrants, of Andean migrants in particular, where they are not educated, where they are dirty, where they are, um, they need to be helped. It's a very paternalistic view, I would say, of, of the migrant there. I mean, it is, it is in a way, it's, it's, it's nice that somebody's showing that, it's nice that somebody is showing the aftermath of the war in the case of uh, Latita Sustada, for example. Um, but there is also this other side where we are seeing a, a woman who has this irrational fear that goes against um, Western um, medicine and that that has very weird behavior in sleeping with a dead corpse of the dead, co dead uh, corpse of the mother, for example, in, in the milk of sorrow. So um, that in a way is, is portraying the migrant as a deranged person. And, and that is even more striking, for example, in, in Marinusa, where you have a completely alienated person and you actually, only the last scene is the, la the, the scene of um, a real migration because the whole movie is about like forming this idea of this character who wants to escape, who wants to leave the town to go towards modernity, um, a person who's worshipping Barbie dolls or Barbie dolls images and plastic earrings and things like that, um, that come from supposedly the capital, modernity. And so she, it's, it, she, she goes to extreme measures to get to the capital meets this um this um, guy who's coming salvador who's coming from the from from lima and she has asked him to take her to to the capital right um cries and, and have sex with him and then ask him to, to run away right so that's one thing that like she's using this character and the other part besides this betrayal is that um it's also an, an incestuous community. So Andean communities are like drunkards and an incestuous. And nobody, it seems in, in, in this, uh, in Madainusa that nobody cares about that. It's, it's absolutely normal to to have a relationship with your daughter, right? No, nobody protests that. Um, that. That is normalized in the film in a way. And I think that, that all, all these details help to form an idea of a migrant. The person who is gonna arrive to the capital is, again, in a way, a little bit of a psychopath, right? Like she's uh, poisoning her father, betraying the poor Limenian guy who's trying to save her. And she's incestuous and she doesn't question that. She just wants to go to the city. That's that's all she wants, right? So, But, but she has no, no other um, 
questioning of reality or of the city of like it's just that this 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 um obsession that is unjustified in the movie um and i think that is that could be problematic and again it is it is important to have movies that talk about the the isolation of Indian communities and how we have abandoned how um many people don't have the same opportunities that are offering the capital um but the way that it is presented it's it's troubling um and i can mention like for example like um Oscar Katakora uh, Winay Pacha right it is it's more recent and it's also about the the uh, an abandoned community but the portrayal it's it's not about like just exhibiting how these weird Andean communities behave right it's, it's not about that um, in a way more it's it's a more it's a, it's a closer approach it's, it's a more effective right it's about the consequences it makes us think about like oh my gosh what happened with this community when somebody leaves although we don't see the migrant there right um so that is i i think that makes a big difference the approach um even like with the yeah the i don't know the the camera like the angles of the camera like joseph tends to have this very vertical shots that show the migrant like small well, for example, Katakora has this uh, more um, use more close-ups. It's, it's more like intimate vision of of these and the communities represented by the only two protagonists in, in the case of Katakora's film. So, uh, by the time I was writing the book, I I uh, obviously Katakora's film wasn't out, so I would have chosen that too for the book. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, because there are there are different visions of the migrant, and I think like because yeah, Joseph's movie was um, financed externally. She had certain set of um, uh, commitments and expectations you need to fit to you know show what is this Peruvian thing with color and things like that. So I think that 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 could be problematic. I think it's. I think it has a lot of merit, like this, her films have merits, but at the same time, I, I, I point out the, the troubling, um, the patience of, of migrants. Um, but something that it's interesting, though, is that in spite of these uh, problematic images, she's still appealing to, to this um, emotional side of the migrants, which people do not normally pay attention to, right? Like, um, it's it's all about like oh they're thieves in the they're thieves in in Lima and or they are the background in other films about violence or comedies so they're just the background right so it's like this I think it's important because she in spite of all the issues that I have mentioned it's still bringing attention to to an important issue right and it's bringing attention from an emotional perspective. Yes, and, and not to continue going on about, I, I thought it was a good selection of films that you had here to, to talk about migrational fictions. And just to mention uh, Winyai Pachak and also the new film Mango Kapak. Mango Kapak obviously tells the story of an internal migration, and, and so Winyai Pachak does it differently. But there's, there's the empathy in, in the camera and the way these topics are, are handled. It shows you the difference in em- empathy and seeing themselves a bit bit more part of the community that, that being someone who's maybe extracting uh, something or looking from an outside place, outside looking in. And I think that's very interesting. I thought you, it was really good how you analyzed those topics on when you were referring about the Gladiosa's work, which obviously are very good. And I don't want to <laughs> take anything away from uh, her cinema, which is obviously, is this a different approach to Perhaps these topics, you know, in in the sense of the treatment of of people and and the way you you position them as well. But more recent, the Lima-based films that just put indigenous populations on the background of films instead of position them as as active uh, participants or even as participants in the movie. But there's just as, as a comment on the on the films, and there's so much more we could talk about the Peruvian cinema and how it uh, relates to to migrational fictions. As you mentioned, there's a lot, and your selection was quite good to give a broad stroke of what's of what go, goes on in there. But 
just to keep ourselves within the podcast and going on to the chapter chapter two. Chapter two is called "On the Edge: Pyramid Narratives of Migration," and now you look at novels or short stories, and you examine you examine four, which is uh, Jose Maria Arguedas is uh, El Zorro de Arriba, El Zorro de Abajo, Cromwell Harris, Montacerdos, which are from seventy one and eighty one, and some more recent uh, examples of narratives, which is Santiago Rongagliolos, Abril Rojo from two thousand six, and Daniela Larcón's Lost City Radio from two thousand seven. I was very interesting in this this uh, selection because it's, it's quite a broad selection that gives us a, like quite a complete picture of uh, of works that look at how migrants are represented in in fiction novels. But I was uh, I was quite curious about the inclusion of Daniel Alarcón. What was your decision there with these four books, and especially the inclusion of Alarcón's uh, Los Cidre, which is a great book, but uh, I thought it was a uh, quite a, a different uh, inclusion again Santiago Glos as well, but then that comes to stood out mm-hmm. to me a bit more. Yeah, well, if you see this in the conclusion, like if you uh, if you take a Soros and Montacerdos, no, it's sort of the river, it's sort of the Bajo Montacerdos, you have two, um, uh, my, two authors who are internal migrants in Peru and who are writing about their uh, the, the condition of, of the mestizo and the condition of Indian people in a different in different cities, in the case of the Soros is in Chimbote, in the case of Montacerdos is in Lima, in the outskirts of Lima. Um, so um, they represent the twenty the twentieth century. And then we have these other different and it's like the the idea behind my decision was a, a little bit like follow um, a path in the ways that um, um, migrants have been represented, internal migrants in particular. Um, and also from authors who were internal migrants and that had issues within um, different cities, right? They they explore the the uh, differences even among in, uh, migrants in these cities because it's uh, um, Afro-Peruvian migrants, indigenous migrants, mestizo migrants, or Cholo migrants in in the city of Chimbote. How they have like uh, their differences and and disputes in that city. Right, so it's a, a different microcosm, and and then Montacerdo is also different. Uh, another, um, let's say, a universe, right, uh, where new migrants are not welcome in a even in a shanty town that has been um, legally um, uh, scripted in the city. So they represent a different period, a, di- a different. Um, different kind of vision about the migrant and then the other two novels which which are uh, um, were published in the first decade of the 21st century um, written by authors who are transnational um, so that's that's a different but these authors um, have maintained this connection they're not only Immigrants, right? They, they, they also they keep their connection with Peru. They're trans, they're transnational. They work in in, in the case of uh, Roncagliolo in Spain, in Mexico, and and Lima, and then in the case of Alarcón, he's working from the U.S. But he is talking about, even though he doesn't mention the word Peru explicitly, right? But he has done that in different interviews. Um, he's 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 inspired by what he has seen and researched in. In Peru, his um, narrative, like not only in Abril Rojo, but in the World by the Candlelight and City of Clowns, is like it's about um, Peru and, and migration and uh, class difference and ethnic um, differences as well. And uh, so, so why uh, Larcon? I think like. He he's a Peruvian American writer, right? So he's still Peruvian, <laughs> and I think it's important to to put in the map how the transnational production of literature in Peru dash um, U.S. Um, is still talking about this this these topics and what is the view of these Peruvian writers who are also immigrants, external immigrants, and how the actually how the very fact that they are outside the country has shaped their vision of internal migrants in Peru. How um, paying attention to this issue is um, in a way keeping their connection 
with a country alive, right? With, with their homeland alive. And I think it's it's really important to to pin in a map these other authors who are writing for somewhere else, but are also still dealing with um, very important Peruvian issues that other people were not paying attention to before them, except for um, Arguedas or Montacertos. And we, we have talked a lot about um, indigenism and um, and well, literature in, as indigenism or urban literature in the 50s, for example. But we, we have forgotten what the, the very process that has led us from in, indigenous literature towards urban literature, which is migration. So I, I my intention was to map that um, by choosing different authors from different periods to kind of trace of how it has changed and how, why, like the interest about uh, migrants can also be inspired by the very fact that we have authors who live abroad and are thinking about this because they have family who have migrated because they have been, um, uh, they, they themselves are migrants, right? So it's like, how does that really affect their vision and how do they expect in a way that this production, um, in a way like uh, keeps their, their ties with the country tight? And not only that, but there, there is another factor, which is the, the economic factor of publishing abroad how much attentions, attention they can get. We know Arguedas gets um, attention because, well, he's awesome. <laughs> but, um, for example, <laughs> Cromwell Jara is, is not um, is not as well-known as Arguedas or as uh, Roncagrillo or Alarcón who have been publishing from abroad, right, and have received a lot of attention because, because they are these transnational authors who are publishing, which is, uh, um, you know, um, big publishing houses in the U.S. And, and in Spain. So that also has a different impact and give them more, uh, a louder voice, if if you wish, like a, a louder voice to talk about these important issues. Um, so I, I just wanted to pin that in the map of, the, the literary map of, of Peruvian narratives. Yes, uh, definitely. I think that was very interesting and made me understand a bit more the, the intentions behind uh, that selection and going now to the third chapter you do the same thing but for bolivian cinema and for bolivian uh, novels and short stories in chapter three chapter three called effective epistems bolivian cinema migration it's always interesting to read about uh films that i haven't seen in uh, and especially cinema from a country i haven't heard that much about you look at paolo agassi's 1982, 1982's Mi Socio, Jorge Sanjines, 1989's uh, Relación Clandestina, Juan Carlos Valdivia's 2005 American Visa, and, and his 2013 movie Ivi Marae. I was quite interested in the difference between these films and the previous films you mentioned before, the way they portray migration and the, the migrants themselves. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, well, I uh, the same as in the... In the chapter about Peruvian cinema, I wanted to to give the vision of and the trajectory of um, the patients of migrants in at the in, in the second half of the twentieth century and then how we that have changed uh, has changed in the in the twenty first century. Um, and also it's it's complicated because Agassi for example is it's uh, he has been nationalized. Uh, he became a citizen, a Bolivian citizen, but he's originally from Italy. Um, but he, like I, I interviewed him, and he's uh, he's, he's a, he has always been, uh, according to him, a Bolivian in his heart, and and he has worked with the people of Grupo Camao, which uh, they were like a, a film collective that produced uh, cinema about indigenous issues and but they their intention was to work with them um not not to tell stories about them but to make um people in different indigenous communities the protagonists of their stories like they like actors and they had um, some saying in the also in the writing of the scripts of the movies so that's a different kind of of cinema as having something scripted talking about the migrant or talking about about the indigenous 
person, but it's indigenous person, it's indigenous people's communities are participating in the in the filmmaking process. So this is um, the Ukamao project in in, in brief. Uh, and Agassi traveled to to Bolivia to work with them specifically and he fell in love with the project and he has been living in Bolivia ever since. And um, so he when he filmed um, Mi Socio, which is 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 a it's a comedy, <laughs> it's a but also a drama <laughs> a little bit. Um, he he has these two characters who I think in a way they're like doing what he did and what he has seen people doing in Bolivia, just going back through the uh, provinces in Bolivia and getting to renome their traditions and and revalue that. So it's like the process of migration in, in his film. Um, it's interesting because it, it allows that it's kind of a road road movie. Um, so the, the trip of these two characters who it's a, a truck driver and a kid who decides to be the helper. Um, it, it really goes and engage and gets into different communities and engage with them, help them and also problematize that with the main adult character being um, a womanizer and the kid trying to form his own vision of how he wants to be and what is his hope. They come from opposite parts of the country, one from the Andes, the other from the more like um, um, the valleys, the Amazonian area. And and they had they represent this different vision, the, what in Bolivia they call Coyas, which are more, more Andean, and then Canvas is new. Canvas would be like the equivalent for, um, I don't know, what we call chunchos or uh, people from, from the Amazonian area, um, region. Um, that, that would be that difference. And he put those different perspectives together and how, despite this different perspective, they are seeing the same values in the country while they're traveling. Um, so it's a, it's a trip, uh, a learning trip, uh, kind of a building from uh, for these two characters in a way. Um, so then, but then uh, Valdivia's movie, uh, oh, sorry, I jumped to um, uh, San Gines. It's an iconic movie like that. You, you cannot write about migration without um, talking about San Gines. Um, and his important work leading the group Ucamao and um, obviously La, La Nación Clandestina is, I think, one of his, if not the most well-known, um, famous movie, uh, one of the most famous, um, directed by him. And in that movie, he actually represents this, it's a migrant character who comes from a Aymara community and goes to the city. And the movie basically shows the process in, in which like uh, the character realizes that he, as an indigenous person, will never really be accepted by society. And he decides to go back to to, to his IU, to his community. And then he redis rediscovers the, the, the values of his community, trying to reunify with them, to work for them with them, and to die for it in a ritual dance. Um, what is important about this movie is that it it shows decolonial process like through the migrant and the migrant is is doing that by like all his travel all his steps towards the city and going back to his community are exactly that it's like discovering like how um, our minds are being um that we are absorbed by Western values and forget our indigenous part. And then going back, how can we recover that and value it in spite of shame? Um, and that is very important because it's like, he wants to be, he wants to look more um, Westernized, dressing differently, abandoning um, his traditional clothing, abandoning his own name, the, the main character. Um, it's called, um, his last name is Mamani, but then when he goes to the city, he doesn't want to be Mamani. So he changed it to Meisman, or Meisman, uh, like a Germany last name. 
and and he's evidently indigenous, uh, but he doesn't want to be uh, seen as indigenous. He denies that um, in so many different ways. And then when he realizes that he will never be accepted in spite of like he changing dressing, uh, he changes jobs or he changing his last name, he he goes back. Well, there are other factors too in the movie, but he goes back and he it's he starts to accept his identity and recovers the traditions. And actually he decides to sacrifice himself as a way to get back to, to the community. Uh, so he starts doing this, um, in which uh, it's basically like he dances with a mask and to, till he dies. And, and, and in that way, he could be reincorporated in the IGU, in the community. So he decides to do that because he doesn't see that um, how how else he can save his soul in a way, but he has to go back to the to the earth to Mother Earth, and so he he dies doing this performing this traditional dance that was even forgotten within his own community. So he he's trying to you know like pay tribute to that and that is that is very important those are very iconic i mean uh, the gases movie and and um san Ginés movie are iconic movies to watch and then and then um in the in the 21st century when carlos maldivia like uh, i think that some people see him a little bit like uh claudia Yosa. <laughs> but i i think he's different and i when i interviewed him too like he he actually uh, claims that he follows the path of of, of San Ginés by, for example, in in his move in his film *Ibe uh, Marai*, he um, worked with a with a Guarani uh, migrant in the city, and they both wrote um, El Ortiz is his name. They both wrote the script for the movie. So, and and it's this trip that the filmmaker uh played by the the Bolivia himself and Eli Ortiz um take they, they have a road trip and they again go inside the Guarani communities in Bolivia. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful film visually it's beautiful and and also the very fact that like San Ginés he decides to do the movie with not professional actors and um he co-writes this with with the characters, so that is that is interesting, and I think not many people knew that about his film. I think that that makes a big difference. And he is not looking at the migrants; he's he's working with them, right? And and basically depicting his own story and relationship with them, and questioning no the indigenous way of life, but questioning his own whiteness and how. People see this mestizo, um, white mestizo, from the city, from La Paz. Um, so that's a very important movie, and it's a um, um, it's a movie that celebrates, uh, in many ways, the the advent of these new indigenous movements and reinvention of traditions and retaking control of forms of government and and economics in Bolivia, um, and and. Bolivia is very aware of that. He, when I interviewed him, he told me he he was in Mexico, uh, in the U.S. and then in Mexico, and he decided to to go back to to Bolivia because he saw that there, with all the uprisings right before Evo Morales and all the movements and economic and political changes that led to Evo Morales taking power and changing the constitution, etc. He saw these changes as, as as a very important moment, um, and he decided to go back to his country and to contribute to that change. and And one of his contributions is the making of of his films, um, especially Ibe Marai, um, which is a celebration of indigeneity and and community and recovery of values and questioning the the power of white people in a colonial society. Uh, he is basically questioning himself, judging the white white population in Bolivia, as opposed to just uh, I don't know, like showing 
the way Warani communities live. It's just, it's not about that. It's about how Warani communities can question him and can make him, help him um, question also his identity and his links to different cultures in his country. Um, his other movie, it's also about um, migration, but it's, um, again, it's uh, a character who has already migrated, uh, and then it's a, it's a kid who has migrated, and then the father wants to follow him and reunite with his son in the U.S. And But he's confronted with, the, the main character is a, is a teacher, and then the the other character is a prostitute. <laughs> um, and they have, they, they start basically questioning the American dream versus the Bolivian dream. And what, do the, what, what does that mean in a, in a country like Bolivia, right? Um, so I think like that premise led me to choose this, this, this film because it's basically um, questioning the whole cultural revolution you wish in, in Bolivia. What, what does it mean to be Bolivian? What does, it, um, what does the Bolivian dream entail? And in this case, it's not just going somewhere else, it's just staying home and valuing the the, uh, the cultures that you already have, the things that you're facing, no matter what. So it's, I think I wanted to, to see a, a pattern of development before Evo, after Evo, after the revolution of the 1950s in Bolivia. And I think these movies represent that path, a slow a slow um, march towards um, the colonial way of thinking that is uh, very strong in Bolivia. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy that that chapter, and also uh, Jorge Sanjines' uh, La Nación Clandestina. At least the, the first bit reminded me a bit of uh, about uh, Ribeiro's um, Alienación uh, a bit. No, no, oh, <laughs> not sure if that yeah. one. Yeah, just just a bit uh, at the beginning, especially going on to the fourth chapter, which is. Uh, alternative communities, Bolivian narratives of migration. You look at uh, Jesus Ursagati, Ursagati, sorry, Jesus Ursagastis, <laughs> Los Tejeros de la Noche from 1996, El Jardín de Nora by Blanca Wietkuter from 1998. We took her. Yeah. Cuando Sara Chura Despierte from Juan Pablo Piñeiro from 2003 and El Blues del Minibus by Antoine Rodriguez Carmona from 2015. I thought it was very interesting, especially, again, put it in counterpoint with the Peruvian's uh, narratives of migration and the difference between, uh, you can see the difference as well in Peruvian and Bolivian cinema and their narratives of migration, as, as you've have laid it out. It focuses on the migrants as subjects of knowledge, and that's very interesting in how they, they position themselves and how they physically they celebrate their identity, they they position that front, right, and center. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about these books and how migrants recognize themselves and their identity, and it's it's quite fascinating. Yeah, in these books, which all of them are, are really interesting, they're really entertaining. <laughs> um, <laughs> they they are not so like they play a lot with with the idea of of dreams and how through dreams. Um, the characters get to question certain um, aspects of, of of modernity and 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 their new lives in in the cities. Um, so on how like it's all again like this idea of like how they want to have a little bit of of Europe of European um, behaviors, European fashions and ways of living. And not really getting it, of course, um, but end up discovering actually how all communities used to live. So, for example, in um, Los Tejedores de la Noche, it's it's about a guy who uh, moves to the city um, from the mountains to, to La Paz, and then um, he's living in an apartment, and he hears that in the in the floor upstairs, like there are machines, there are people doing uh, knitting. And this is this is a real thing that happened to the author, to Urzagasi. is like he was in the city and he was listening to these people who were working on their on their needs and they sell that in the markets to tourists. Um, so they he he starts to imagine these these characters like as 
who are these characters? He never see them, at least that is in the novel. He never gets to see them until the very end. And he said, like, he sees this as a, as a metaphor of like uh, these uh, populations that are invisible, that you never see, that, but you know that they are working in the needs, you know that they are working in, in I don't know, they are plumbers, they are bread, uh, they work in, in, in pastisseries, they work in, I don't know, like in, in the land, we, they work with their hands and nobody really pays attention to them when they are the ones that really make up the country and move it forward, right? It's like, we never pay attention to the work of plumbers, something like that, it's like, but we only notice their importance when we have a problem with our toilets, right? Um, so the book is something like that. It explores like, oh, what are these um, weavers doing? And what are their works? How many are they? And it's, it's all this dreamy vision. It's, it's, it's complicated to, to explain, uh, but I think that the author uh, is using this idea of dream because for him it's easier to explain it that way. Like uh, it, it is a more emotional way to, to to portray these these Indian migrants, right? And he, as a migrant, how he sees that. I don't know. It's just a, a very a very poetic way to see it, and uh, it's not just uh, how can I say this? It's like it's not depressing completely about the reality of migrants, but it also presents it in a in a way that it's uh, I don't know. It gives you hope. It, and and I think the idea, like representing and talking about his dreams, it's what makes it interesting. And then there is this other book, which is uh, Jardin de Nora by uh, Blanca Whitaker. And she she has this, it's, this book is crazy because you have two German, it's very different. It's, it's the whole thing is an allegory of migration and, well, not migration, but more than colonization, right? Because colonization is also a, um, a migration process, and and he puts it like that by uh, and underscores how the people who came, the colonizers, the white populations in Bolivia, want want to leave like Europeans, and they they come from from Germany. And they want to build these beautiful gardens, reproduce these beautiful gardens that they have in Europe, and and they can't in Bolivia because simply the land is rocky, and you're not going to have a uh, a lot of roses in a rocky terrain, and that's exactly what they try to do. And they go against um, the recommendations given by, um, you know, uh, people from the community. Uh, so, so then they, they say like, do not um, grow plants here because the the land is not the right land. You can create holes and it's gonna crack. You cannot be here, basically. Um, and they still do it because they want to have their European uh, view of a garden and instead of adapting to the what they can really grow in Bolivia. Um, so then the, their garden becomes like it cracks and creates holes. And, and this, this couple also have like children who become mute after a while. But um, towards the end, like... This, this couple just um, hide them in the back of the house. And uh, the kids only learn some Aymara words because they, they, they hear that from the gardener. Um, the only thing they can speak, it's not German, is Aymara. And when they, when they really, <clears throat> other words, they start yelling um, things in, in Aymara and uh, the earth keeps cracking. Uh, and and they bore the the parents and it's like a whole metaphor of like the children who were born in Bolivia who speak Aymara who were sent to the back of the garden the son of these migrants um, migrants themselves like they create like a, a vacuum a, a hole in society that cannot um, it, um, that represent this division between white populations and and indigenous populations of course but it's also like these kids at the same time, and this is very interesting, they they have their own garden. Um, and this garden flowers with with um with plants that are um original from Bolivia, not 
flowers or plants brought from from Europe, and and so their story is different. It's a different rebirth in a way, but they they have to create these what I see as epistemological holes. These spaces that cannot be filled. These spaces that that cannot be um, uni cannot create union, cannot create bridges in a way. Um, Silvia Rivera Cosicanqui talks about this in a completely different ways. Obviously, like she said, like uh, Bolivian society is the um, combination of, of white and let's say white and black uh, um, colors where in, instead of having gray areas, you just see the, the whites, um, white and black points sewed together that you think it's the same color, but in reality are the colors that have never merged together. Um, and and it's like, it's a society that it's pluricultural, pluriracial, um, very different people live together next to each other, but they never really get to, I don't know, it's, it's division and togetherness at the same time. <clears throat> and I think the book represents um, that um in in that precise way like it's like a, there's a hole between certain groups in society and and it's interesting because he's a migrant and and um, the author is the daughter of german migrants in bolivia too so she's criticizing um her own kind in many ways um so yeah this um this is what i saw in in this in this book and then um Carmona's look, there's a set of like different stories. Um, they're all about um, a moment of um, change in, in Bolivia, like with Evo Morales and how people are seeing that and how now um, people who are more white mestizos are scared of, of the Chola Paseña, which is this uh, represents in the book, this uh, powerful um, economic power. Right, the same with Pineda's book, um, and I don't want to just uh, summarize again the book, but it's a it's it's a celebration of traditions of um, the Aymara traditions and uh, festivity that it's like um, both books deal with um, El Gran Poder, which is a, like a big fiesta in, in Bolivia. It's a, uh, syncretic festivity, right? Because it's about Jesus with three faces and they have these big dances and they have like for a week uh, competitions and, and and yeah, celebration of this Christ. And, um, but they are in both cases, in both works, the characters are awaiting for the awakening of, of this um, Andean entity. Uh, something like the Incari, um, the return of the Incari, the the return of the Inca, of the Pachacutic, and that's what they symbolize. And it's it is it's really interesting because in all these, actually in all the the novels, there is an idea, a sense of return, and how like the going back to the town, the reverse migration. Um, is going to lead to a rediscovery of the culture, and and this rediscovery is like basically reproducing a political ideology of return, where the indigenous populations are going to retake power and reorganize society, and that is what, in so many different ways, was happening with um, before Evo Morales, or what that led to to his um, election and and the aftermath. Uh, so it's a complete like a social revolution where indigenous peoples are recognized and all this is in these novels and it is very interesting because in the novels you can see the political path that is the background of these novels and I think it's probably the most important thing and I'm just mentioning it towards the end but um, yeah that that that's why these novels are so important <laughs> yeah that's that very interesting and very insightful of where you can find it in chapter for your book to, to wrap this interview up, this is a question I like to ask all my interviewees, and I'm very interested in, in hearing what you have to say on this aspect, but how do you think your book speaks to the present state of both Peruvian and, and, and Bolivian societies? Well, it was published last year, and uh, but I, I was working on it like for three years, I think. Um, <laughs> I think it, 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 it actually it talks about what's happening now still in in. In Peru, we have seen with COVID, for example, 
um, the reverse migration processes and how people have like didn't even want these uh, my, uh, migrants uh, in the passing by their communities in Lima just because they needed to go back because they didn't have more economic resources to stay in the capital by themselves, right? And 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 we have seen with COVID, for example, this all like very brutal like views of migrant populations in, in from the Andes and from 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 the Amazonian region. Um, so I think that that is that is a problem that is reflected in in in, in films and novels in Peru that have been represented before and then that's still being represented. And I think the problematic views of our society are still there, especially. Especially in Peru, in Peru, I think we we are very, still a very colonial uh, place, um, and in the case of of Bolivia, we can see still the struggles towards recognizing indigenous populations. They have changed the constitution. They have they have declared um, officially a political nation. Um, they have indigenous uh, people in power, and I mean we had for a. Well, they had uh, for a little bit um, Janine Agnes, who who was trying to undo all the things that Evo Morales did, and to basically like I don't know they they had all this um, weird cleansing of of even their own Congress. Like they set fire here and there. They they were insulting people uh, for being Andean and for even trying to to revalue their culture, and then. This was the interim government, and then when they had the, their elections, and they have Luis Arce again, like this. I mean, it's not like he's uh, Evo Morales, but um, and I'm also not trying to idolize Morales, but he he is like a a milestone in the political ideology in in Bolivia, right? Um, he yeah, he obviously has been in power, had was in power for too long, but uh, but now they're trying to like recover and keep the changes or some of the changes they wanted and so i think the book keeps talking about these these current processes of political change and of um pejorative views on migrants that we tend to veil most of the time yes definitely and we have talked a lot about the book in depth but is there anything you think we've missed or that you think we should mention that listeners should know about the book uh, <laughs> i don't know like we, we really uh i think mentioned a lot of things about it i think that it it is really i think something that is important and that when i was researching for this book is that i haven't seen much comparative work between bolivia and peru and we are so close and so um similar and dissimilar at the same time and i think it's it's worth getting to know more about our neighbors, like not only Bolivian cultural productions, but also Equatorian, right, and Colombian, and and see how their different visions of their traditional cultures inform their their views on modernity and their takes on, on political reforms. I think that we, it's not, I think we're lagging behind. Um, in terms of like giving more power to indigenous communities or uh, migrant communities in Lima, you know, now like everybody thinks they, I don't know, like people don't even want to recognize themselves as migrant, even when they are second or third generation uh, of migrants. And, and that is something that is very sad. And we have to ask, why is that so bad? Um, what What is the positive thing about having people um, coming or going back to their uh, places of origin, how can we or how can we change that if it's something that it's really so bad as as we tend to perceive it? Um, so I think that the book questions that and the book um, brings up like alternative ways to see migration, not just uh, as crisis, not just as uh, it shows all the works. I think as a whole show. The migrants as subjects who are very resourceful that they can create alternate alternative ways of living, alternative ways of thinking, alternative ways of um, relating to 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 different people in the community, and to create their own communities too. So I think we tend to forget that part, and 
and that is i think something we need to to pay attention to right and that's that's why i I wrote the book and I wrote it in comparison to Bolivia because that that would make us see it in a different way um, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think we should definitely look to our neighbors more. Before we finish, uh, is there any new projects you're working on right now you want to tell us about? Um, <laughs> well, my my uh, right now I'm doing research about like the influence of um, Chinese immigrants in the end and the end countries. And I'm starting with Peru. Um, I'm actually like uh, also have a Chinese family, and but I'm going to be exploring how like um, racial soli solidarity help these um, Asian communities to to become like to to acquire some uh, not only affective capital because they became family, but also like uh, real economic capital to move forward in society. Um, so that is that is part of my research. So I'm going to be doing that and exploring the the political influence of these communities. Um, yeah, it's it's so like I think Peru is like 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 many other countries. Like it's a country of migrants, right? Like and the entire Andean region can be can be seen as a border, and and that I'm interested in exploring all these different aspects to see like hey why. What have we missed in, in the constitution of our people in Peru? That sounds very interesting. And we're I think we're all looking forward to it. Thanks, Lorena, again, for joining us here on the New Books Network in Latin American Studies to talk about your recent published book, Fictions of Migration, Narratives of Displacement in Peru and Bolivia. Thanks to you, Kenneth. Thank you again. And that's all from us here. Have a good day.